Father, we ask that you would please help us to understand uh, sometimes a very difficult word. Um, Apostle Paul wasn't necessarily known for being very easy to understand. Um, your word even says, uh, coming from the voice of Peter, uh, that he says some very difficult things and some hard things for people to understand. So we ask that you would give us understanding this morning, that you would grant us wisdom to rightly interpret your word, dividing it according to your truth. And Father, we know that we have a helper, we have an advocate even, your Holy Spirit. Father, you are the God who is for us. In Christ, you're the God who's with us, and by your Spirit, you're in us. We thank you. We praise you. Help us. Amen. So uh, some, some won't talk about the devil or the spiritual uh, at all. And then on the other hand, some will talk about the devil and the spiritual too much, right? So it's like, it's like all or nothing. It's like all devil, no devil, right? This is like massive extremes. And last week I was talking about how the devil loves ex extremes, ironically. He loves it when we can pit these opposites like that and make it uh, so there's an us versus them. And so on the far left, though, there, people act as if there uh, is an answer to everything. Has anybody ever watched uh, the movie The Theory of Everything? It's that story of, uh, of Stephen Hawking and uh, how he was trying to find, sort of, uh, basically unlock the mysteries of the universe and figure it out, and he knew that there must be a theory that answers the question to everything, right? Uh, so that's like on the one hand, this, you know, chasing the dream of absolute certainty. And uh, that's one side. We think we're smart or adventurous enough to rationalize anything and everything. And on the far right, people act as if there's no rational answer for anything. So everything becomes overly spiritualized, so when somebody poops, it's not biological anymore, it's spiritual. I bet I have your attention now. <laughs> Last week we talked about the children's book, Everybody Poops. So you should get that for your kids. It's a, it's a crack up. So what do we do? Do we avoid all talk of the devil and the spiritual? Is that what we do? Um, or do we obsess over the devil like some groups do? I think neither. I think authentic Christianity will find a way for us to deal with the devil once and for all. And I hope that we'll do that this morning by looking at his word. And so today, God wants us to cut through the, the faux authenticity that we see around us so often. Remember the faux hawk, right? But he wants us to see through all that, the surface of things, and to notice the great battle that is going on around us. The great battle, it's a fight, it's a war, it's a struggle. And so... It is, though, a war that has already been won for us who trust in Jesus. But a lot of people will live life cutting deals with the devil. You might think of a movie uh, where the devil, you know, uh, finds the person who's the main character of the story, right? And uh, grants this person three wishes, right? You have three wishes, but all you have to do is sign on the dotted line, maybe in your blood, <laughs> sign on the dotted line. And there it is. And, and I'll get, get you what you want. I'll get you the mansion or the car or the girl or the boy or whatever it is, right? But the real way the devil plays this game is by flying under the radar. 
It's through shady business practices and compromises that further self at the expense of others that the devil works. So we're signing contracts, all right. We are. Little drop here and a little drop there. So today I, wanna, I want us to talk about how to deal with the devil. Uh, so I want to watch out for three things, three, three things that we're going to uh, look at from, from this chapter uh, in, in chapter 11. I want you to watch out for the devil's traps. I want you to know how to identify the devil's minions and know how to defeat the devil at his game. So our three points this morning are going to be catch the devil's traps. Call out the devil's co-workers. And crucify the devil's evil. That's how we're going to play this game with the devil, okay? All right, so let's catch the devil's traps. Verses 1 through 4. Paul says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So before our eyes, Paul spreads out five traps that the devil springs for us. So I want you to notice these five traps. He does, he does this so we'll be aware, we'll beware the devil's traps. And so we have to catch him at work in these five ways to avoid falling into themselves or leading others astray with us into these traps. So the first trap that he sets is in verse 3. He says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve. Paul fears that's happening to his brothers and sisters, to the the people, the church that he planted in Corinth. He's afraid that this is what's happening. It's a concern that could easily happen to me. It could happen to you. And so he cites this old story going way back in time, right, to, to the story of Adam and Eve, recorded in Genesis chapter 3. And this trap is as old as sin. The crafty serpent's been doing it for a long time, and it's the same old hat trick. Genesis 3, the the snake whispered, the serpent whispered to the first woman, made, made her question what God had said to her. He put doubt into her minds. Has God really said? Questioning God. Has he said that? Is God really looking out for my best interests? Is God really good? Is God really trustworthy? Those questions, that's the first trap. The second trap to catch is the last part of verse 3. He says, your thoughts will be led astray. Um, On our wedding day, uh, my wife and I, we sang, uh, come thou fount. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy. Know that one, anybody? Okay. Okay. but we, we sang that song because we knew, we were young, right? But, but we weren't so naive to know that, that marriage would be really hard. <laughs> we knew it was going to be difficult, okay? And so we knew that when sinners say I do, that something only as true and as good as the gospel, and beautiful as the gospel itself, would be able to hold us together. The hymn writer of Come Thou Fount had himself actually wandered away from Christianity Uh, He left God. And so he wrote those words, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That was his personal journey in battle. Unbelief is like adultery. 
Only it's spiritual adultery. Spiritual idolatry. We love ourselves more than we love God. We love the idea of love or the attention of another lover more than we love our own spouse. And so Paul actually elevates this to that scale. He wants us to see this. As he says in verse 2, I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. And so what he's saying here is that when we come to faith in Jesus, we are like that bride leading up to that great wedding day. And the proposal, the beautiful proposal has happened, and and we're waiting for that that time when we're with with Jesus in glory in heaven. And until that day, though, other suitors are going to be coming, trying to woo us away from the Savior, from our groom. And so Paul likens falling away from the faith to adultery, the temptation to just leave, to walk out, to leave the God that we love for power or for success or for influence or sex or money. And that's what the super apostles, as Paul calls them in this chapter, the super apostles were doing this very thing to this little church in Corinth. They were luring them away by glory now And if the Corinthians had followed them, they'd become what they worshipped too. Um, The wisdom literature in the the Bible is is full of this uh, contrast between lady wisdom and lady folly. And lady folly is often described as this seductress who lures a man into the bedroom. Or like a woman who, who lures a man into the same place. The language can't be missed. It can't be downplayed. Sorry, I have to preach it this morning. Sorry, not sorry. If adultery is the devil's bedroom, then unbelief is the devil's playground. Next, Paul lists the third, fourth, and fifth traps in one fell swoop. He says in verse 4, For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or... If you accept a different gospel from the one you received, you put up with it readily enough. It's a pretty big diss. Um, but the third trap, believing a different Jesus. The fourth, having a different spirit. The fifth, a different gospel. No small thing here. Reflecting on this, you know, Jesus is not our mascot to, to pull out whenever we need him to support our political cause, political party, personal taste, or church tradition whenever we need him. He's not our co-pilot or homeboy like that. And so Paul is driving at the fact that even the gospel, the very gospel of Jesus, can be something that the powerful and the influential and the popular can pull and rally for their own interests. And that is precisely what Paul is against in this passage. And he said, you put up with it readily enough. Putting them on the spot, putting us on the spot, asking us to question and to to really, as he's going to say in a a little bit, two chapters, to examine ourselves, right? He's asking us to, to reflect right now on this, to think about this. Do we put up with with Bible teachers, book authors, radio shows, leaders, pastors, spiritual gurus, and giants who reject the clear emphasis of Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
Are we looking for new or different or better or older or more relevant or more irrelevant ways of finding a different gospel other than the one that is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe? Romans 1.16. That's the caution this morning. Catch the devil in his traps before he catches us. But how can we answer his twisting? How can we answer the ancient serpents, the devil's twisting of Scripture, of the Bible, if we don't know God's truth for ourselves? It's a question to ask. When Jesus was tempted, where did he go? The Bible. When Paul is tempted here and challenged, where does he go? He goes back to the Bible. So what hope do we have if we're not going to the same source? Learn the Bible, know the Bible. The second thing we, is to call out the devil's co-workers. Call out the devil's co-workers. So this is more than just content. It's more than just preaching the right gospel. Paul's problem with the super apostles, as he calls them in verse 5, uh, is not that they weren't preaching about grace. Let me tell you, these people could preach all about the grace, about the grace. They could preach all about the grace all day, all long, but they were doing it for the dollar. Yeah, it was all about the base. All, all about, for those who didn't know. Cue you into that. All about the grace. All gospel. Okay, I'm done. They did it for the wrong reasons, they did it for the wrong motives, and with the wrong end in view. And so Paul calls them out. And, and, and by Paul calling them out, as a group by name, right, as these super apostles, as he's mocking them, actually, super. He gives us to permit permission to call evil, evil. Elsewhere in the Bible, it says, don't ever call evil good, and don't call good evil. Call the thing what it is. Call it out when you see it. Verse 5, indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Verse 6, even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Verse 7, or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. Now, real quick, Paul didn't really rob anybody, okay? So, um, there's a lot of hyperbole and satire and irony going on here. So, um, this is something I'm going to focus on a lot next week, is explaining why he's doing this um, for the sake of the argument here. So, just pointing this out, take note, he didn't actually rob anybody. He, he gathered real support from the Macedonian churches. So, it's, it's just that, yeah, we'll explain that next week. Verse 9, and when I was with you and was in need... I did not burden anybody. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need, so I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. Verse 10. As the truth of Christ is in me, the boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do, he says. And what, I'm, what am I doing? What I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men... Now this is a switch, if you notice. Are false apostles. Earlier, super apostles. Now he's just whipping it out. 
false apostles. Bam. And he says, deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, so it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Boom. Can I just, like, wrap this up? (laughs) Stepped on that serpent's head, right, with that? Bam. It got real, though. He calls out the devil's co-workers. He calls them out. Those who've fallen in the devil's traps and are playing by the devil's rule book, and, and calls them super apostles first, taunting a little bit, and then false apostles. And so they boast in how great they are. They boast in how successful they are in comparison to Paul. How could Paul ever compare? He was only an apostle called by the Lord Jesus. These guys, they were called super apostles appointed by themselves, right? Pretty glorious. We're going to play into that. We're going we're to hear that more next week. So what Paul's doing here is he's answering the fool according to his, his folly. If you've ever read the book of Proverbs, you would uh, pick that up from chapter 26. And one main value of Greco-Roman culture, one main value, a core like tenet, was self-promotion and, and masculine competition. It's kind of why the, the, um, the gladiator games got super popular, Right? Because in, in that context, watching somebody hack off somebody's head was pretty dominant and pretty amazing to watch, right? It's a cultural thing. Yeah. <laughs> Seeing that strength and raw power really jazzed up the crowds. Um, obviously, the cl- equivalent for us is not the gladiator games um, with bloodshed and beheadings, bloodshed and beheadings, but... But I think maybe, you know, watching the Reebok CrossFit Games on ESPN or the, the Strongman on ESPN, you know, you can, you can see some pretty amazing superhuman feats of strength. And you're going, oh my goodness, how did Rich Froney Jr. do that four times in a row? How did Matt Frazier, how did he do that almost four times in a row? He'll probably do it next year. You watch. And how did Camille LeBanc Bazinet, how did she do it? And the, I mean, they're so strong. Like, you try to do their volume and training, and you will die. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're not as fit. <laughs> Don't even try, okay? Um, it's crazy. So, um, so it's, it's kind of like that. Paul enters this game here, not one of strength, but one of clever talk. And he answers them by their folly, but without becoming like them. He boasts in his own training, his own rhetorical ability, his own study of philosophy, only to show them how foolish such boasting is. Someone's always better than another person when we play by that, that game. Um, it's putting down, it's not building up, it's foolish, it's folly, it goes nowhere. It's our kid on the playground. My dad's taller than you. Oh yeah? No, my dad's taller than you. My dad's stronger than you. No, my dad's stronger than you. What does your dad do? My dad's a pastor. What's a pastor? My dad's a firefighter. Ah. Fire trucks. I like fire trucks. Yeah, your dad's cooler than my, my dad. All my dad does is, is, play, is sing the doxology. 
and then they play on the slide. You know, that's that's school You know, that's how they're doing it. So, um, so Paul plays that game. He does. He plays that rule. He plays that game, and he hits it home uh, to show that by those standards, he is qualified to be an apostle by the Lord Jesus. He's well read, well trained, in all the greatest theologians, the greatest philosophers, and yet he doesn't use that to assert his own dominance. But he does that to make Jesus Christ and him crucified known. That is the point. And so, man, this is a warning to us that the desire for recognition, the drive of ambition, the yearning for popularity and power, that that has actually destroyed more people than sex and money has, when you think about it. Pastors often fall in the news headlines because of money or sex scandal. That's what makes headlines. But what really takes down most leaders and most people is the lust to be loved and known. People will do crazy things for a like from other people. So whose approval do you seek? Whose approval are you seeking right now? I want to encourage you to seek the approval of the one who already has loved and known and approved of you in Jesus Christ by faith. That's the only approval you'll ever need. That approval is not earned, it's given. That approval is not merited, it's received. It's not asked for, it's announced. It is gospel, it is good news. So how do you deal with the devil? First, we catch the devil's traps, we call out the devil's coworkers, and finally... How do we kill the beast? We crucify the devil's evil. This is our last point. I'll wrap up. In spiritual warfare or, or battle, nothing is done in us or by us in this fight. We only extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one by directing all evil to be crushed, stomped by the Father's hand and Christ's foot. He and not we have defeated him and has rendered him harmless, such that not even death can separate us from the love of God, which is for us in Christ. I, I encourage you, uh, you know, we have some community groups that are starting back up this fall. Um, read uh, Romans chapter 8. Read Romans 8. Um, read, uh, just meditate on that one together. Um, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nobody. What does the devil, what does the world, what, is, what do our own rebellious hearts have against us anymore when we have the God who's for us and with us and in us and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And so to all those doubts, you know, those little darts, they go pew, pew. Those like little like, you know, they're just, they're like Nerf guns, man. They're like, they're not real. They got no power. Darts of fear, darts of anxiety, darts of pain. They might keep us up one night or several nights or a full week. But as soon as we take them to the cross, they're snuffed out by his mighty hand. As soon as God reminds us of who really pulls the strings, those darts shudder and they split right down the middle in Christ. So there's nothing that Satan can do to God's elect. None, no, not one, will be snatched from the Father's hand. That's the power of the cross. God defeated the devil in the most unexpected way imaginable. 
instead of coming in, in a triumphant victory march, Jesus marched to death. And what looked like losing was actually winning. What looked like loss was actually gain. And Paul, at the beginning of this passage, he raised that Old Testament passage all the way back, going to Genesis chapter 3, to echo how the story really goes. And I want you to get this. The ancient serpent in the garden would bite at the promised one's heel. That's Christ. And he would strike it on the cross. But in the end, his head would be crushed. Because at the cross, Jesus, although stood defeated, yet because of his resurrection, he stands victorious even now. Amen? The devil lost. All enemies of the cross are broken and all evil is undone because of what Jesus has accomplished. He's dealt a, a decisive blow to evil through the cross, through his resurrection. And so our great and awesome God has outwitted, he's outcrafted, he's outgunned, he's outmanned, he has won up, and he's completely outed and ousted that ancient serpent and his co-workers, his minions, by beating them right as they celebrated their own victory. That's when they were crushed. That's the power of the cross. It's also an irony. Uh, Oz Guinness calls it uh, the greatest double entendre ever. So we'll talk about that next week a little bit. And really, this is the most practical news that you could ever hear. And why is that? Why is this practical news? Well, death and hell no longer have the last word on you. Fear has lost its grip on you. Anxiety has lost its grip on you. Doubt even can't conquer you. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Villains in history, villains in our own lives, oppressors and bullies of this world, they'll never win. I was once under a really horrible boss. Um, yes, it, 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 uh, it's a lot like the movie Horrible Bosses. I'm not recommending that. I'm not endorsing that movie. Okay? But it is like it. Okay? And you know what got me through those hard days of, of injustice and cruelty? Knowing that God is just and that in his own timing, justice will be dealt with. That's what an oppressed people, a marginalized people, a suffering people grab hold on to. It's the prayer of an oppressed people. It's the prayer of pilgrims on the way to Zion. It's the prayer of hope for the broken. Who's your enemy? I'm sure you got one. Are you praying for them? It's that gospel heart change that only the gospel can do. Changing us where it hurts. Changing us to pray for our enemy. And trust and know that in this time, in this day of salvation, as, as Paul calls it elsewhere, and in this time of grace, waiting for Christ to return, that even our enemies can be reconciled to God through Christ. Even the devil's co-workers can find forgiveness and freedom in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the power of the cross. And so, 
if it's the world, if it's the flesh, and if it's the devil who are our enemies right now in this life, uh, Christian theologians of the past, they used to call that the, the unholy trinity. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are protected, we're bought, we are clothed with the holy trinity, wearing the best defense from the Father in the Son by the Spirit that you can ever have. So if you're a Christian today, I want you to put on that armor. Remember your baptism. You were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Maybe it was a long time ago. Remember your baptism this morning. And if you have never been baptized, if you don't believe, but you're going, you know what? Some of this stuff doesn't sound too weird. (laughs) Some of this stuff doesn't sound too crazy. I might just start to believe this that there's a God who loves me in Jesus. That there is a God who can know and accept me in Jesus. If that's you this morning, because that was me before, that was many people in this room, and still is many days. Believe in Jesus today and be baptized. Turn from all the things that you love more than God and turn to him in Jesus. Put on Christ, be clothed in him, and be sealed in him. That's what God is calling each of us to this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Hard to understand, hard to get through our ivory tower heads, our our thick heads, our stubborn necks so many ways to describe our resistance to you, our rebellion from you and against you. We are rebels, we're robbers, we're dirty, rotten scoundrels, (laughs) and yet in Christ we are so deeply and perfectly loved by you, fully known and yet fully loved in Christ. Father, lead us into that goodness. Lead us into that truth and that beauty of what it means to be a child of you in your son. Father, give us a child's heart and a grown-up's head. Help us, Father, to deal with the realities of life, the tragedies in life, the grief, but also the joy to be able to celebrate that you have done it. Father, we thank you that in Christ we have conquered too. Amen.